everyone and welcome to episode five of Not Another Whiskey podcast. You may be looking for a podcast where your whiskey is sipped while the hosts drop a tiny bit of water and tell you how it changes after every drop, taking 30 minutes to talk about the tasting notes of one dram. We've come to the wrong place because we put the frisky in whiskey. I've got no idea what that means, but anyway, thanks for tuning in. My name is Mitch Beshard. I'm your co-host. I am Daz. And this week, Mitch, uh, we're not going to be talking frisky. We are going to be talking about the big screen. Uh, look at where whiskey has made it into TV. It's made it into movies. Uh, share a few secrets, a little bit of an insight into how some of these things have come about. Uh, I've got a bit of an insight and a good story behind Bond. How did he end up drinking the McAllen? And Captain Kirk, I did not know this, Mitch. He turned to Glenfiddich. Yes, mate. And that's where I'm, I'm going to share some secrets because I was uh, in, kind of involved in that part of it. So stay tuned, guys. It's going to be a good one. All right, Daz. So what have you been up to, man? It seems like it's been a while since we've recorded one of these together. Yeah, yeah, it has, mate. We are in the middle of virtual festival heaven slash hell. <laughs> um, you, you've got Fejail. Uh, it's Jura Day today. Uh, as we record, the guys are literally doing tastings as we speak. Uh, we did a lovely uh, Highland Whiskey Festival event with uh, Dalmore and Davidoff up in the Edinburgh Grand uh, with Joe Harrison uh, through the week, which was fabulous. Uh, which I was on, which was great. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. We were um, sabotaged very slightly by the wind and technology a little bit as well. Um, but the Davidoff Dominicana, the cigar they just launched is a beast for the Davidoff. They're quite famous for mild, medium-bodied cigars and that so, wasn't one of those. No, <laughs> it, was, it was such a good cigar, though. I mean, that was such a smooth smoke. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. It was good. Um, and we also, well, I know we've, we've spoken since then, but we also had the spirit of space side, didn't we, at the start of the month? So, like, May, June's been been yeah. hefty. It's been really, really busy. What about you, man? Yeah, it's been crazy, man. Um, I did, <laughs> I went south of the border for the first time in I don't know how long. So went down to the Lakes Distillery, hung out there with um, your boy Dabal Gandhi, which was great to meet him. Genius, man. Absolute genius, that boy. Really impressed with what they're doing down at the Lakes as well. Went into his little lab, hung out there. So that was, that was really cool. Um, I was up at Kings Barnes recently doing some filming up there. Had a big day in Edinburgh. Uh, started with a boozy lunch with our good friend, Charlie McLean. Yep. So yeah, it's been a, it's been pretty, pretty crazy over the last month and, and, yeah, this uh, I leave tomorrow for London for a load of meetings down there. So again, that's it's kind of cool just to be traveling again. You know what I mean? And meeting yeah. face to face. Nice getting back to distilleries as well, man. I mean, yeah. Well, you you were up at Kings Barnes. You were down at the Lakes. Um, I was back up at Dalmore uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was that was nice. Honestly, just so good just to get back up and yeah, totally. wander around, see the stills, see the casks and things like that. That's uh, it's been too long, and hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, I'll get back over to Jura as well. I'm hoping at the start of July, which will be cool. And we're going to Lewis together. Yes, we are. That's in two, two three weeks. Yeah, man. First time I've been. To, you haven't been to Lewis either, right? I think it's you know, uh, mate, popping both our, our Lewis cherries. It absolutely is. Uh, I, I saw a couple of friends had been up that way recently, and mate, the weather was unbelievable. The beaches are pristine, right? And then crystal clear water. So yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I will be packing a hip flask, maybe a wee cigar for yourself, Mitch, for the kindness. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good time up there for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a fun trip going up with the boys from from Larkfire. So that should be a should be a good good giggle. Yeah, man. Right. So 
For those that join us for the last episode uh, with Barry Wilson, you may remember that we did have a sponsor for the show, which was pretty ex exciting. Uh, Fanny McSporin and the Futtritz, unfortunately, though, were arrested over the weekend at a wedding. Right, Daz? That's right, ma'am. I did get a call from her manager, and as you said, she smashed up the stage with her fiddle. The band proceeded to stomp on their bagpipes, causing much distress and much offence. Um, but guys, fear not, because we do have a new uh, sponsor for this weekend. So here's a word from them. Do you love whiskey and rock music? Ever wondered how to combine the two? Introducing the Whiskey Rock Rocks, one of the best whiskey inventions since us Scots found out we could turn beer into the nectar of the gods. Whiskey Rock Rocks is a way of putting rock in your whiskey. You simply put your rock in the freezer, then put it in your whiskey. Then you connect it to your phone and listen to your rock tracks through its miniature speaker inside while rocking out to a dram. Just imagine Bon Jovi, Whitesnake, Motley Crue or Aerosmith all coming from your rocks glass while you enjoy your dram from it. For more information, check it out at whiskeyrockrocks.com and rock out while listening to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. Whiskey Rock Rock also works with other styles of music such as blues, jazz, punk, ska, reggae, but not yodeling. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daz, what did you think of uh, Whiskey Rock Rocks? Uh, honestly, I think it is a pile of shite, and uh, <laughs> I'm quite happy just to take money from them. But thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad that there, there is no snippet of my voice in there, which is wonderful. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know who did that voiceover. I can't. That. I can't. I can't quite make it out. No, it was probably Baz. <laughs> so, Daz, let's get into what we're drinking this week. What's Daz drinking this week? So, what we thought we'd do this week for what we're drinking is base it around a movie that both of us remember seeing and, and, and realizing that whiskey was on there in a big way. And for us, that was Lost in Translation with Bill Murray. Uh, so hopefully all you guys listening have seen that. If you haven't, check out absolutely amazing uh, movie. You know, I love that scene. For me, the, the, the scene that really kind of kicks in was where he's, uh, he's trying to get the advert. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. We're drinking the Yamazaki uh, Distillers Reserve. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of hard to find any Japanese whiskey with an age statement on it now. So with this one, uh, this is the level down from their 12-year-old, if you can find the 12-year-old. Still pretty pricey, Daz. Uh, yeah. 40, sorry, £65 for yeah. this? No, no, no. Japanese whiskey is not cheap. Crazy. Not, no. So, but this is stunning, though. I mean, I, I think, I, I haven't drunk, drunk Yamazaki for a while, and I forgot how good it is. This includes Bordeaux wine casks, sherry, and Mizunura casks in there as well to give it that, you know, as you know, Mizunura casks are pretty hard to find these days. So they've added that in, obviously, to compensate for the fact that it doesn't have an age statement on it. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm sure uh, Bob Harris would would agree that this is a delicious whiskey. You know, it's a belter. I mean, the thing is with Yamazaki, I remember um, we, we had many Suntory whiskeys in the bars years and years ago. You know, and when we were talking about Baz the other week, I remember, you know, you would have your age statement hibikis the 12 the 17s and, and things like that but yeah they've, they've obviously become a lot harder to get hold of and one of the things we didn't talk about that we should save for another episode is maybe speaking to one of the japanese whiskey guys is of course this change in the law 
absolutely over there you know where a lot of scotch whiskey was finding itself in japanese whiskies and that was acceptable up until fairly recently so um uh, well still acceptable but you can't call it the same so it would be an interesting one to get some japanese gurus uh who know their way around that category to tell us a little bit more about the way it works and how they blend and why they do what they do and stuff because it's a it's an amazing category some beautiful whiskies for sure um but maybe a few blurred lines that have been cleared up recently anyway so we digress a little bit we're going to be talking about whiskey in the movies here so let's get into it i did quite a bit of research on this and one of the facts i wanted to well one of the things i wanted to know about was where does whiskey appear most Mm. Number one spot is The Sopranos. Uh, I haven't watched that much of The Sopranos, but I do always remember seeing whiskey yeah. heavily involved in it. As soon as, as, soon as, as, soon as we start, started to talk about like whiskey and, and screen, I, I don't watch lots of films, but I've, I skim through things, right? So when I think of whiskey on telly, the first stop I have is Sopranos. Uh, and I couldn't tell you what brand. All, all I think of is... They just drink quite a lot of whiskey. They've always got a glass in their hand. They're always pouring someone something just as they're about to kill them or tell them they've been, you know, mucking around with their wives or whatever it is the Sopranos have been up to, you know. <laughs> uh, but I do associate it with whiskey. It's funny. Yeah, and, and I can I can say that that is true. Daz does not watch a lot of TV unless it involves pirates. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, All about the pirates. I do like a couple of wee pirate movies. I, I, to me, the Pirates of the Caribbean is semi-documentary, you know. Yeah. You know, every time I see you, like I, I remember we were staying at Glen Eagles once and you're like, I was like, well, so what did you do when you cut out early that uh, last night? You're like, oh, I just went to my room, watch Pirates of, Pe- Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> I was right, born so- in the wrong time. I was born in the wrong times, my friend. Definitely. <laughs> uh, so Sopranos is number one. Uh, number two is Mad Men, which I've, I've watched a couple of episodes of. And again, it's something that I always see them drinking scotch whiskey, that kind of 60s advertising thing that was it 60s. Yeah, I think it was 60s. 60s ad sort of was that was at Manhattan, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was based. yeah. Uh, cocktails was a big thing for them as well. I know that the old fashioned uh, became very popular once the, the guys in Mad Men started to smash those. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, that's not a surprise. And then number three is a program called Supernatural, which I've never heard of before. But apparently it's been going for 12 years about two brothers battling paranormal baddies. No idea what that is. Number four, Dexter, uh, the show about the serial killer. And again, that's I've watched a couple of them and he does seem to quaff a few whiskeys now and again. So that is your most popular uh, whiskey appearances on the TV. Uh, with regards to brands, Glenlivet takes number one spot for single malt with Johnny Walker being uh, the number one blended, which which kind of makes sense. I mean, that's that's a pretty obvious one. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's, it's cool, though, because you've got different eras. You've got movies that are set in the 60s and the 70s. And I think a lot of these kind of cop, you know, type movies where there's uh, murders and crime and mobs and all that kind of stuff. Cutty Sark is a brand that jumps out for me. Yeah. I've seen that a lot on the screen. I'm sure I have. And it's it's quite funny because we automatically think that every one of these whiskeys that are in the TV are real things. So you, you'll have people going out, maybe ordering them off the back of them. And I guess that's subliminally, you know, what they're trying to achieve. But it's quite interesting, right? Because it's expensive. Uh, it's an expensive business. If you want to get product placement, and Mitch, you've lived uh, down on the west coast of America. I'm, I'm sure you've had many people going, "What do you think? You know, can you get this whiskey in there? Can you do this? Can you do that?" But I didn't. I didn't realize that there were so many fake whiskies. 
or, or or made up whiskey brands and, and you go through them and you, you've done quite a bit of research on this, but the most common is Glen Callan. And it's amazing there has never been a whiskey called the Glen Callan. That's bizarre, isn't it? Because you've got the, the power of the Glens and Glen Morangy, Glen Fiddick and Glen Livet and the power of McAllen. It's almost like if, if the Avengers was a whiskey, it would be Glen Callan. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but then, yeah, you've got it's in the Mindy Project, Sons of Anarchy. It's made so many appearances. <laughs> I wonder how many people have actually gone into a bar and gone, can I get a large Glen Callan, please? Right. That'd be yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you need to ask some bartenders in LA about that because that's, that's probably, they probably have had that call uh, a few times. No, it's crazy. And, and you look at these, these brands and they're actually made up by um, these companies in LA and they go to the, the guy, the producers and the prop master guys and they say, hey, we've got this whiskey. If you want to use it, you know, it's going to save you a load of money for product placement. Yeah. So that, that's kind of why it's done. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see it. And guys, if you're interested in this, there is a really geeky website called scotchcinema.com. And um, the guy that runs that, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he has literally documented every single appearance of Scotch whiskey in both um, the, the small screen and the big screen. Uh, so really cool to kind of check that out. It really surprised me just how many things they pick up on. It's right. insane, right? But I, 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 Everything. Being a whiskey geek, I don't know about about you, but I'm exactly the same. Like as soon as I see anyone drinking a whiskey and there's a bottle there, I'm trying to dig in and I'm trying to see what brand it is. Do you do that? No. No, it's just me. Just me being. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get back into the the real brand world and talk about some whiskey collabs that have happened. I think the the most recent one uh, has come from Diageo. And they partnered up with The Walking Dead to do a bourbon. And the one that we're more familiar, familiar with is the Game of Thrones collaboration that they did uh, with pretty much all their distilleries. What, what did you think about that, Daz? Oh, um, I, I liked it because it created a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, many years ago, when I was at Highland Park, we launched the Valhalla collection, which was Thor, Loki, Freya and Odin uh, as a collection of whiskies released over four years. And I was actually just thinking about this. We launched that in 2012, in January 2012. And we went to a, a Viking feasting hall in Stockholm to launch it. It was amazing. And uh, that was that, that would have been thought. cool. It, uh, mate, it was it was called um what was the restaurant called? I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me in a second, but the um the 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 way that it was done was so interesting. And of course, with Orkney and it's or you know, it's, it's Viking kind of history. It was part of the Kalmar Empire at one point, Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. It wasn't Scottish. It, it, was, it was Scandinavian for a long time. And it was, it was one of those things that felt very good. Thor came out with Chris Hemsworth in 2011 in the April, and we launched our Thor uh, in that January the, the following year. And it was this swell of interest in, in Vikings and Nordic history and things like that. And then the Vikings aired over in America, the same, hmm. roughly about the same time. So everybody was talking about Vikings and things like that. The restaurant was called Ifur. That was the name of the restaurant. Just come back to me there. But the, what happened was that we, we, were, we were contacted by the Game of Thrones guys uh, to create a whiskey, which was similar to the Valhalla collection um, for them. 
it became quite complicated. It, it became apparent quite early on that there was going to be quite a lot of money needed. And, and Highland Park was quite a small brand at that point. It still remains a, a medium-sized malt whiskey brand, perhaps. You know, it's, it's not a huge, big money spending thing. So I, I, I like it because it brings uh, whiskey to a new audience. Yeah. I love the thing about storytelling. And, and that's what I thought worked so well for us at Highland Park with the Valhalla collection. And, 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 and being different from other distilleries as well. I think we did it in that way. Um, but I think in the end, when I look back at the Game of Thrones collection, was it deemed a success or not? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the, all the positive points that you put forward there, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, you see it now, and I think the hype was kind of like, oh, this is going to be a big collectible thing that's going to go on and i remember seeing whiskey auctions where it was like guys that had been collecting everything and they put put the whole collection on uh but you still see it up for sale now so i think they kind of missed a trick there if they made it you know kind of one-offs and, and limited releases yeah. um it would have been a lot cooler I, I also think it was the only other negative i've got about it is is a little bit cut and paste i felt you know there wasn't, it didn't seem like there was any real tie-in with uh, with Game of Thrones, you know? It, it, I, I thought it would have been a lot cooler if you, they got some of the actors to do something talking about the whiskey, yeah. bring it in that way, just as opposed to having a map and putting all the distilleries on the Game of Thrones map and then tying it in that way. It's like, but, you know, as you say, great to bring new drinkers into whiskey. Good to see that, that going on 100%. And moving on from Game of Thrones, um, a really good collaboration recently was Kingsman with uh, Glendronach. That was yeah. really cool to see that. And, you know, that felt legit. And when that Kingsman Glendronach came out, I was like, yeah, you guys have got a right to do that because you did really well with it mm. in the booty. Let's talk about celeb whiskey collaborations. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, it's getting exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, this is kind of moving a little bit away from the big screen and, and, and the screen, I mm. suppose, a little bit. But um, we've got recently Conor McGregor with Proper 12. Yep. Let's not slag that off in case he's listening. Comes around yeah, and yeah, he might hunt us down and, and leather yeah. us. Um, who else have you got here? We've got Sam. Sam how, do you say, how do you say his surname? Sam Hewen. Wayne Hewen. Do you know, yeah. I, was at, I was actually at the um, was at Keepers of a Quake event. Uh, a couple of years ago and uh, actually he was there uh, mm. as, a, as a guest of honour really of, of the keepers and I didn't know who he was I must say I, I didn't know what Outlander was or anything like that he's a really nice guy He his kilt was from the same shop that mine was from so we ended up just having a chat and, and he told me that he was going to be getting into spirits at some point and uh, I didn't know you know where he was going with that and obviously now I do because he's got the Sassanac whiskies and stuff and I've heard a few rumors, uh, a few vicious rumors that, that he's lined up for, for a future Bond. Yeah, he's in the running, isn't he? It's good whiskey, actually. I had a bottle of Sassanac, and yeah. I was impressed with it. Well, you gave me a sample. Yeah, yeah. And I liked it. I, I, I must say, a lovely vanilla character. Uh, a blend bottled at 46%, which is great. You know, nice yeah. to see that. Sure yep. filtered. Um, but yeah, it's good juice. It's a little bit on the pricey side, I'd say. But apart from that, without, you know, not having but a But the bottle's juice. nice, man. That's a beautiful bottle. I uh, actually it's not cheap. No, I was quite impressed. I was quite impressed with the packaging. Uh, I like the story. Uh, I think it's Loch Lomond that are producing it for yeah, them. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah and they're, they're a great whiskey maker. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of that, I must say. I think he's done a great job. I'd love to see him do more with it, you know, himself, uh, tastings or yeah. a bit more chat about, you know, what's next for the, the whiskeys and things. But 
we'll see where he goes. The other big collab that's come out recently, um, literally, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, is Nick Offerman. He's been doing a lot of work with mm-hmm. Lagavulin. And he's done a Lagavulin 13-year-old that has been finished in Guinness casks. Right, okay. Which is kind of cool to see. I, I always remember, like, back in our Diageo days, asking about if we could finish a whiskey in Guinness casks. Yeah. And it was always like a, nah, can't happen type thing, so. I'm, I'm, drinking, a, I'm drinking a stout just now. Um, it's part of this tasting, actually, that we're doing later on tonight. It's kind of the pub locking uh, idea at Ordura. And I, I, you taste that rich, heavy stout style. And you automatically think of oily, heavy, smoky whiskies like Lagavulin. It's amazing it hasn't happened before, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it makes sense. The, na- the last one is uh, back to our neck of the woods, going up to Cameron Bridge. Of course, the home of Hague and with David Beckham and the Hague Club thing. And I, I actually, you know, I'm a big fan of that because um, I remember my brother, my wee brother, who's about five years younger than I am, he knows exactly what I do and he knows I work in whiskey and, and over the years I could have got him any whiskey he, he could ever have dreamed of really. And he phoned me one day and he said, Daz, and I was like, what is it? And he's like, um, mate, any chance you can get me a bottle of whiskey? And I was like, oh yes, you know, he's, <laughs> he's come of age. That's my, that's my wee brother. He's asking me. And I was thinking like, oh, you'll be after like a 21 year old or a 25 year old. You'll be after something really special. And he's like, so what's that, uh, what's that David Beckham whiskey like? You know, and I was like, oh, for God's sake. But actually, I know, inside I was like, no, but that's, that's the purpose of the thing. Yeah. You know, that, that's exactly what he's there to do is to make whiskey more appealing to this kind of younger, more, uh, you know, I guess less, less experienced in terms of their kind of flavor profile, whatever. They're drinking vodka, they're drinking Jack and Coke, drinking sweet things. Here's an opportunity for them to try a scotch. And, you know, in five years' time, they'll be a complete freak and they'll want to know, you know, PPMs and until filters and all yeah, that kind of stuff. 100%. So it, it did a job and I, and I get it. And since then, I've, had, I've heard so many great stories about David Beckham uh, over, over the years. Little things like, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me passing this story on, but there was a young lady that worked for Tesco uh, once upon a time, and uh, she now is at Copperberg. And um, she was at an event. David Beckham was there uh, on Hague Club duty, and uh, he's chatting away to her. And they get onto cocktails, and 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 David's like asking her what kind of cocktail she likes, and she's like, "Oh, I really like an old fashioned." So David Beckham turns around to her and says, "I love old fashions. Let me make you one." So he goes away behind the bar, right, and starts whipping her up an old fashioned, and from his like top pocket. He pulls out this little bottle of something. She's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's chili bitters. I make it myself. I really like it. And he, he made an old fashioned for her with chili bitters and it took it over. And uh, she was just like, I can't like, that's amazing. You know, what a, what a story for her, right? I, mean. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> but there's a few things like that about him. And we'll bring Andy Gem along one day for a, a chat on the podcast because he's got a couple of brilliant uh, David Beckham stories as well. They did some work with Haig and The Gate, the pub that he owns um, and there's a couple of crackers in there as well. So no, it seems like a great guy, but I must say I did taste the, um, I don't know if you saw this, they just launched the Mediterranean orange. I saw it, yeah. Shite. <laughs> I took uh, a picture of it and posted it on Instagram and it was like, what does everyone think of this? And it was like, shite or I want it. And I think two people said they wanted it. And then it was about 200 people saying shite. Yeah, well, the thing is, I've tasted it. So, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a hypocrite here. I haven't tried the Game of Thrones stuff and I have an opinion on it, right? So that's, that. Uh, I buy the buy. I, and that's very seldom that I do that. But the, the Hague Mediterranean Orange I tasted just last week. 
and um, it's so sweet. It's so orangey, and I can really? I can see what they're trying to do with it, um, but it it really has got nothing to do with whiskey. To be honest, it tastes like Cointreau. It's time for Mitch and Daz's interesting Scotch whiskey facts that definitely won't get you laid. All right, so this week for this section, I thought I'd do it James Bond style, as in not talking James Bond style, but giving you some James Bond drinking facts. So here we go. In the films, Bond averages a drink every 11 minutes. However, in Ian Fleming's book, Bond consumes 317 drinks, which is even more than in the movies. So in the books, he drinks champagne 65 times, bourbon 57 times, whiskey 42 times, mostly as a scotch and soda, uh, vodka martinis 41, uh, sake, which is pretty surprising, 37 times, cognac 24, and both gin and red wine 21 times. So there you right? go. I, I would never have thought Bonds drank more bourbon than scotch. Right. Crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so then we talk about actors, ones that drank the most as James Bond. Uh, Daniel Craig tops the list with 22 times, which is not surprising. You think about someone like Casino Royale, where he was just pounding a load of scotch whiskey, doing the Vespa martinis, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then at number two is Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, 16 times he drank during all his Bond movies. And then number three was Roger Moore. Um, Timothy Dalton was a bit of a teetotaler, though. Only seven times he drank on mm. So here's the bad news, though. You know the, the new Bond movie that's got delayed because of COVID and it's taken ages to come out? But the rumours yeah. are that there's going to be... He's going to be drinking a non-alcoholic Heineken in that. So it's a sign of the times, my friend. Times are changing, for they sure. They sure are, yeah. Right, Dad. So while we're on Bond, let's talk about, because you were involved in McAllen when Skyfall came out and you've got a little bit of an insight, right, into kind of what happened around that whole, because that, that was a huge sponsorship for that that movie. I mean, McAllen was there four or five times, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I, was, I wasn't personally involved. Um, I, I had literally just started um, with Edrington at that point. However, I was working for Ken. Um, Ken was my boss's boss, effectively, so... And, and Ken is a, one of the guys, a guy called Ken Greer, who was a market director at McAllen when this was all kicking off. And uh, yeah, he's, he's still one of, one of my very good friends within the industry, an amazing guy. Um, and, and he really was the guy who, who kind of, from the McAllen side, sort of made this happen. Um, it's an amazing story that, I mean, yeah, it, it's a bit serendipitous, a few stars aligned, um, and people often ask, how much did it cost, you know? Yeah. How much How much did McAllen pay to be in Skyfall? And the interesting part of that is, is not that much. Um, Belvedere were in that movie as well, I think, weren't they, a few times um, from memory, and they paid a lot more than McAllen did. And, and, it, and it's a funny story because... McAllen was one of the, the major sponsors of the Royal Photographic Society. And McAllen, in the last 10 or 15 years, ha- has done a number of projects around photography. And a lot of people don't like them. You know, the whiskey collectors and stuff are always going, well, what is this all about? You know, what's all this nonsense? And, and really, McAllen's passion for photography is the reason why it ended up in Skyfall. 
and it's it's really really straightforward. There's a guy um, a guy called Michael Wilson, right? And Michael Wilson is effectively the co-owner of the franchise. Okay, it's um, a lady called Barbara Broccoli who is mm-hmm. who who owns who owns Sky well not Skyfall the, the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. He is he is her half brother, and they're in it together effectively. So if you Google whatever uh, the the Bond franchise, uh, the these names will come up. Michael is a big fan of photography, uh, very in- involved in the sort of philanthropic side of things and is a huge supporter of the Royal Society of Photography. So he was hosting an exhibition of his own collection and uh, Ken went down and, and met this guy and uh, they just had a couple of conversations, you know, and he said he was a lovely man, so a really, really great guy. And from sort of out of the blue, he kind of got a phone call maybe two or three weeks later from somebody who was working for uh, Michael Wilson and he said, look, what, what are your thoughts on the McAllen being involved in, 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 the, in the next Bond? And Ken was like, oh, that, that would be great, of course. <laughs> you know, that, 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 you're never going to say no, of course, to being in Bond. And he said, well, Ken had actually sent him some whiskeys down to try. And he said, look, well, I really like it. I really like the flavor profile. I, I, I love the way that it looks. I, I think there's something we can do here. So that was that, really. So they, they, they kind of they hashed out a bit of an agreement. Um, I know there was some stock sent down. Um, I don't think there was a huge amount of expectation in terms of what they were going to get out of it. Uh, I know that Ken went down to Pinewood Studios um, to actually see some of the the filmmaking and things like that. And I, I think he got to meet like Daniel Craig and things. So, you know, Ken, Ken was kind of going into this a little bit blind and didn't really know what he would get out of it. You know, he's just mm. kind of, he felt, it felt right, but he didn't really know what was going to happen. So, he hadn't seen uh, what was in the movie. He, he didn't have rights to see it prior to it going out. Um, he didn't have approval rights or anything like that because there was, it wasn't a big commercial agreement. Yeah, yeah, because there's no contract, yeah. Exactly. So it was more of a, we'll see what happens. I'll see if I can get it in a few times. So I think it was the 23rd of October in 2012 and, and Ken goes down to the Royal Albert Hall for the global premiere of, of this latest Bond movie. And they're... He sat there watching it, and it appears in a couple of bar scenes, right? It gets pulled over by the bar. I think he goes and asks for a McAllen and Soda or a McAllen on the rocks or something, Daniel Craig, that is. And uh, Ken thinks, okay, cool. That's, that's not what we agreed, but not bad. You know, we've, we're have we in two or three times. Brilliant. I remember a coffee table scene. There's a bottle of McAllen on the coffee table as well at some point. So it's in there. Um, and then, of course, the famous scene really which is one of the most famous drink scenes i think in movie history probably you know it's just being watched i think on youtube it's got something like 24 million views or something like that so, i mean it's absolutely insane and of course when the the glass of whiskey's come out uh, what is it he says he says um he go he goes and grabs a, a 1962 mccallum and he says it's a a particular favorite of yours mr bond this is uh raul silver and then um he puts it, gets the two shot glasses, he pops one on her head and he makes Bond shoot at her. And of course he misses. And then he, the bad guy, Raul, kills her. And, um, and he says, you know, now what, what do you say to that? Is what he says to Bond. And Bond turns around and says, you know, it's a waste of good scotch. And uh, then he batters everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it's, not, it's not what they expected at all. Um, and it was... Uh, I know that Ken was quite concerned at the time because, I mean, how would that be perceived? 
you know the the yeah. that that's a it's quite a shocking scene uh definitely right out there of course if there was an agreement you might get in trouble for putting that in place but it was done purely off the back of 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 the directors and, and the guys that were shooting this thing and i mean there, there's some pretty big hitters involved in that film roger deakins was involved in like the shawshank redemption and you had the director sam mendez involved as well so i mean these guys were looking to create something that was going to be visually stunning and i don't know if you've watched when you last watched it but i i think that the the cool part is the walk when they come out into the kind of it's like a destroyed sort of town square and there's the speakers on tannoys and stuff as they walk around and he walks around the corner and then he sees um what was her name bernice merlot was her name wasn't it um she's there tied up bleeding from the the lip and everything like that it's just really really visual very striking um and obviously that that moment will um will immortalize that that 1962 mccallum yeah, one of my one of my favorite Bond films, I think. Yeah, really cool. So um, that's how it happened. It happened by chance. A conversation with Ken and this chap, Michael, and um, from there it, it it went into the movie. Yeah, nice little insight, man. Mm. Very cool. Guess the whiskey. 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 All right. Guess the whiskey. Last week, now, if I remember rightly, Mitch, I'm not good at remembering these, but the clue was it used to be known as something else. It was known as the Small Isles Bay Distillery. It was closed for 62 years, um, and I can't remember what the last clue was. It's in the Highlands and Islands whiskey region. That's what it was. So the answer is Jura. Jura was known as the Small Isles Distillery back in the sort of mid-1800s, and it shut in 1901. It reopened in 1963, and it reopened as the Jura Distillery. There we are. And it's not, it's it's Highlands and Islands, because it's not Campbelltown, and it's also not Isla. And we're going to Jura soon, right? Yeah, dude, we are going to go over in July, 100%. Yeah, we need to go over. I haven't been over for ages, and with Fej Isle being today, like the pictures and uh, Mark Bruce, the the guy that works over there, who I'm in touch with fairly regularly, he's been sending me lovely pictures, man. And you know what it's like these islands when it's sunny. Yeah, it's just so 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 beautiful. Um, and I actually, it's the one thing I've missed probably in lockdown most is it's not the international travel and going out to places like Japan and Taiwan where we pick up these crazy stories, but it's much more about visiting the distilleries and and getting out to these places and just catching up with guys that you know guys and girls that we know from these places. So. Yeah, we need to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, for those that are listening right now, uh, you know, we're we're it's it's going crazy here right now. I was just down at the beach, which is five minutes from my house, and it's just like you have to wear extra sunglasses because there's so many really white people exposing way too much skin. <laughs> skin yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like yeah, I think we've got uh, what are we what are we like twenty three or something today? It's crazy. Right, anyway, so this week's whiskey, I'm going to give you guys some clues, so see if you can get this. Um, so this whiskey used to be owned by the Seagram's company and produced a smoky distillate for blending purposes. Uh, the Patterson crash in 1899 caused it to close its doors for 65 years. It recently opened a brand new visitor centre. There you go, that's your three clues. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about whiskey and animation. I'm not talking about kids' cartoons here, but more of the, the adult-themed ones, right? So classic example, South Park. 
One of the episodes where you get Sergeant Harrison Yates is spotted drinking a Macallan 12, but spelt M-A-K-A-L-A-N-N, but very, very similar style bottle. So almost like a fake brand in a cartoon, which is kind of funny to see. This also happened in Archer. Uh, I don't know if there's any Archer fans out there, but great uh, series. Archer himself just drank so much whiskey. Absolutely insane. His drink of choice was Glen Gooley, which was a fake whiskey based around Glenfiddich. Uh, and actually, when Glenfiddich brought out uh, Glenfiddich 14 year old, which isn't available in the UK, but it's available in the US, it had a blue label very similar to this Glen Gooley style. And I always remember um, Scotch Trooper, uh, who's now passed away, unfortunately, but Scotch mm. Trooper actually did a fake bottle. He, he recreated Glen Gooley. Uh, from the Archer series using Glenfiddich 14 year old, which is really cool to see. That's cool. Um, all right. So I think one of the things, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, Daz, I, I, I spent a lot of time in LA and one of the cool things that I got to do was, was mess about a little bit with the film industry and, and bring booze in there a little bit with, with my time at Glenfiddich. Uh, and we actually, um, th there are people that, that just deal in relationships between the movie studios and booze to try and get these, you know, the, the, these kind of sponsorships, these placements that we've been talking about already. And to your point about McAllen, a lot of the time it is done through relationships and not necessarily money. Saying that though, I have heard that the new Top Gun movie that's just out, there is a product placement in there that it was, the product placement cost $200,000 for it. Uh, so kind of crazy stuff. Uh, the, 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 uh, the, the series called Billions, they're around about a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars for uh, the series. I think Mictors has now got that. Interestingly enough, HBO they insist they will not take any money for product. Ah, that's interesting. And Apple just doesn't do brands, so they're just not interested in in any kind of product placement. Um, but what I was so when I was chatting to to this person I know over in LA just to get a kind of refresh on on what she's she's doing over there. She basically said that, you know, most of the time when she talks about brands to to movies that are coming up, she'll, she'll get like an insight into a movie coming up and then she's got her black book. And she, the first person that she goes to is actually the prop master. Mm. So the prop master guy is the guy who normally pulls the, the kind of strings, if you like, on what brand is going to get involved, which kind of makes sense based on what we were talking about with the fake brands as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what this person does is they they basically get this relationship with the producer, uh, but more importantly, the prop master, uh, and they send them goodie bags. They take them out for lunch, take them out for dinner, you know, invite them to tastings, really kind of get that brand under their skin. So the next time they're looking for a whiskey in a movie, it's straight away they come to them and that's it. Mind and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and she's, you know, they said most of the time it's, it's money's not always involved. It's more about that relationship. One of the, the things that happened during my time there was Glenfiddich and Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, when Captain Kirk actually uh, was, it was Captain Kirk and Bones. There were, there was a scene where they drink Glenfiddich. I think it was a 40 year old, um, and what happened there was it was the same person and, 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 and they worked with the prop master on the movie, um, basically said, we'd love to have Glenn Fiddick in there. Uh, you know, what would happen with it? 
initially they were wanting some money, but then it went back to like, well, actually, if you could just design a futuristic looking bottle of Glenfiddich, we will put it in the movie. The scene in the movie is actually a square bottle, not a triangular bottle. Ah, okay, okay. So they designed this one, you know, and, and <laughs> I remember speaking to the brand manager at the time, like, I can't believe they didn't do it triangular, you know, because yeah. that's what Glenfiddich is known for, right? So now they've got the square bottle in one of the biggest product plus product placements they've ever had. Yeah. So kind of cool to see all that going on. And, and that gives you guys a little insight into to what happens with all these big shows uh, and how, how that all works. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Hey, eh? I mean, you, when you think about how do these products end up in movies and it, it creates this culture, you know, this, this sort of following behind certain things. And, and I know Mad Men was a big one for that, you know, so I can see why, why brands would, would go out there and, and try to make these happen. And then sometimes the, there's just a right fit. There's a natural fit, you know, for whoever the main star or the co-star are, yeah. if it's their personality type, they, they might just fit the right brand. And sometimes a relationship will bring that in. Sometimes it will be paid for. So yeah, it's good to get a bit of an insight into that. I'm sure your prop master has a few decent stories up their sleeves. We must bring them in for the next one. But it's funny though, we've, we've talked a lot here about whiskey, particularly whiskey in, in the movies and in the screen and stuff. And we haven't yet mentioned the movie Whiskey Galore. The SS cabinet minister, it runs aground in the Outer Hebrides and it's during the Second World War when whiskey and everything has been rationed. So the thrifty, the very thrifty islanders obviously go and, and try to steal the whiskey off the ship. Um, and that, that's obviously the kind of basic gist of, of the story. But it's a, it's a cool story. It's a funny story as well, right? Um, it's I don't fiction, right? Like fiction, yeah. not fiction. Well, it these actually happened. The, the boat ran aground. Uh, and I, I think some of the, the islanders did steal some of the whiskey, but then it was like a little, they put their twist on it, right? I think so. I think there is probably a bit of an element of truth in there because there are some of these stories which actually happened. And the, the Shackleton story is a great story, you know, with the, the cases of McKinley's whiskey, which were blended just down in Leith, um, were obviously found in the Antarctic. Uh, about 100 years after they were left in the, in the shed that they'd put down there, you know. And uh, these bottles were taken out in 2007. They were tested. And, you know, they found all sorts of interesting stuff in there. I mean, the, the Orcadian peat was in there as one of the things that they called out as a, they put it through like a mass spectrometry machine and all that kind of stuff. And they, mm -hmm. they were able to locate certain parts of Scotland where some of this stuff had come from. So stories like that are brilliant because... Apparently, we had heard that Shackleton movie was going to be made. Um, and we're still waiting to see what the story is there, if it's going ahead or if it's not, because it's such an amazing story. It's been written about so many times. Um, and it's a, it's a movie that's written for you, really, if someone wants to just go and produce it. But I heard it's, it's, it's definitely on the cards. Or a more modern whiskey film that came out recently was the the Angel Share yeah. with our friend Charlie McLean in it. I mean, that was such a cool movie to watch. That so, if for those that haven't seen it, it's basically a story about um, four young guys who get into whiskey and then they they put this whole plot together to steal this uh, not cask of whiskey but bottles from this cask and they break into uh, Bal Blair. It was that they used for the distillery, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then, yeah, Charlie McLean is like the guy who does all the tasting notes on it, basically just plays himself. But yeah. the cool thing about that movie is there's so many other people that we we know in there. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, you've got like uh, John from Up in the Fiddlers and you've got John's dad in there as well. Uh, distillery managers, distillery workers that, that we all know. So it was like, it, it was so cool watching that and just be like, ah, there's so-and-so, there's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Charlie had a massive part in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, do you know, it's funny, actually, you're, you're right. It, it's funny when you see people, you know, on TV, and, and I think a lot of people here in the UK would have watched Dragon's Den a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, Tom and Tristan were on doing their thing for Whiskey Me and they, they get three investors and the number of people that have said to me, oh, did you watch Dragon's Den? And I was like, yeah, yeah I watched it. I'd never watch it normally. And they were like, oh, did you see the whiskey guys? I was like, yeah, yeah, I watched them. They're great. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Like a couple of our best pals, you know, we both like the boys. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant though, but it is, it's funny. The... All right, guys, so hopefully you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us ramble about whiskey on the big screen. Uh, we'll see you next time. Next episode, we've got no idea what we're going to do, but I think we're going to do it on location in Edinburgh in a bar. So we may get a bartender down with us to chat some whiskey and actually uh, get off this, this kind of Zoom thing because so far since we've started this podcast, Mate. we've always done it over Zoom. Yeah, it'll be nice to see you in real life with a, a whiskey and a wee beer. All right, guys. So until next time, cheers. Take it easy. Yeah, Bye.